I think it's important to recognize what the purpose of the attorney general is. And they do help children, but mainly this is about public assistance. You're listening to the Texas Family Law Insiders Podcast, your source for the latest news and trends in family law in the state of Texas. Now, here's your host, Attorney Carrie Tapia. I'm guest host Carrie Tapia, and I'm excited today to welcome Jonathan Fox to the Texas Family Law Insiders Podcast. Jonathan is a divorce and family law attorney in Grapevine, Texas. He also practices child welfare and probate. He's been practicing family law for about 14 years, and eight of those years were with the Office of the Attorney General of Texas, the Child Support Division. He was recognized during that time as the Assistant Attorney General of the Year for the Fort Worth region in 2016. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for the nice introduction. All righty. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I was licensed in 2005. I went to the University of Houston uh, Law Center. Originally um, from Virginia, I went to the University of Richmond for undergrad. And uh, I've got uh, two kids. I've got a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. And I guess I'm not practicing law in my my solo practice. Um, Enjoy playing tennis uh, with my daughter, just doing things with my kids traveling, uh, skiing, mountain biking, outdoor stuff. So uh, yeah, (laughs) that's more about me. Great. Um, How would you describe your current practice? So I have a solo practice. I have um, one paralegal right now, and that's it for for staff. Um, I have about 70 cases. I do uh, child welfare, court appointments, and then the rest of my uh, uh, businesses were... mostly from uh, referrals from other attorneys. Um, I have a, a small office in Grapevine, which is a good location. Um, most of my case parent, but I have a fair number of Dallas cases, uh, Denton and Collin cases too. Okay. Yeah, Grapevine's a great central location. <laughs> it is uh, for that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so today we're going to focus on various issues related to the Office of Attorney General. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your background working with the OAG? Okay, sure. I'm I'm a fan of OAG. I'm not here to to be negative about them, but they're very good about telling their story and getting people from their agency to talk to uh, other members of the bar and explain what they do or, um, you know, explain what powers that they have. I think the main reason is, just like any other organization, uh, you have to get management approval to, to give presentations. So because of that, you don't see uh, assistant attorney generals talking to the bar very much. So people are confused. They A lot of attorneys deal with the AG, but don't really understand the AG. And um, I mean, even attorneys in uh, large firms, you explain to them some of the powers that the AG has. And they're like, wow, I didn't know that. So I've got, you know, just ever since I've gone out on my own, in private practice, people have asked me a lot of questions, and uh, I'm happy to answer those. Well, that was great because it's a lot of why I wanted to have you on today. Was I have a lot of questions about the OAG and just kind of the back, kind of like the back office side of things, and because I know that there must be so much happening behind the scenes. But often when I'm dealing with them, it seems like nothing is happening, and I'm not getting right. any responses. 
And I just need, you know, them to look at one little paragraph from a 50 page yeah. and it, it's hard to get that dialogue going. So, um, okay. Um, so can you describe, just kind of getting into that, would you describe for us what the process is like kind of behind the scenes at the OAG when someone files a request for child support? It's like a brand new case. Sure. And so I, well, right. They can do, they can submit the request online. They, they can are in person. Most of their cases, however, are involuntary. Uh, basically when you have, um, parent on um, usually Medicaid that automatically creates a child support case. So, you know, most of the people, you know, maybe they wanted child support, but maybe they didn't, but they have a, you know, automatic case with the attorney general. And uh, a lot, a lot of those cases, the ones where there's public assistance involved, involved can't be closed. So the attorney general is getting referrals straight from Medicaid um, that's the main part of food stamps, um, you know, cash assistance, which they call TANF. When I was there, there wasn't very much TANF. I guess people in the public think there's a lot of cash money being distributed, but there's really not. It's really Medicaid and food stamps um, from my memory that created the As an attorney, I really wouldn't be involved in that step. Um, I, I, I'd be a little bit farther down down the line once the case they bring the case in and set it up and and it's ready to go to court so there'd be a lot of things happening before it ever got to a line attorney like myself so i, I guess the thing that i always wondered <laughs> what about the people that don't know who the father is <laughs> like how do they uh, and so when i was there i was like hey what do you, what do y'all do in that situation and it a lot of the child support officers are, are pretty good at teasing out information to to figure out who the father might be. Anyway, um, that, that's something that happened, I guess, uh, you know, before it gets to the attorney stage. But it's a, it's a huge agency. They're handling, you know, billions of dollars in support uh, paid to obligees. And they've got hundreds of thousands of cases. So it is a very busy agency. I know, you know, from, maybe from the, uh, the bar's perspective, when you've had a bad experience, you're not getting any feedback. Like, is anybody working over there? I promise you, they are working really hard. Um, and uh, an attorney, I would go to court uh, two to three times a week, um, where you know we would work a full docket. We'd be there all day as a team uh, at the courthouse and, and working dozens of cases. And we couldn't leave until all the cases were worked. So, and then we'd have to. When we got back to the office, check our email. Uh, so that's maybe when we'd see your email. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, with all the dockets and the preparation for the dockets, you know, some you know it, it might be hard to keep up uh, with the email. I always tried to keep up with my with responding uh, to the private bar. So, and I most of the assistant attorney generals uh, do a good job. But sometimes when you're not getting a response, there are some strategies to try. But, you know, behind the scenes, very busy, either going to dockets, preparing for dockets, uh, doing other things like reviewing pleadings and, uh, you know, going to special settings that have been set the private bar that, that aren't part of the attorney general docket. They're in the district courts or the associate courts. So going to those. Uh, so that, that kept uh, assistant attorney generals like myself when I was there very busy. Okay. 
So you mentioned, you know, the billions of dollars that they're dealing with. I did have a question about the difference between full service and registry only and why someone might choose registry only over full service or vice versa. So the attorney is not involved in all child support cases. I know that's kind of hard to believe, uh, but like you're talking about, if the AG is not involved, then uh, they're not providing services like wage withholding, intercepting tax refunds, and doing other collection activities. Um, all they're doing a registry-only case is just um, making records of the payments that come in. And so uh, all you can get out of a registry-only case is like a list of all the payments that were made. So basically just keeping track of payments that come into the state disbursement unit Mm -hmm. Um, and all child support payments are supposed to go through the state disbursement unit. So um, with the full service cases, um, those are cases where people want full service or it's involuntary. Like the people I was telling you about, public Mm -hmm. is involved. They have to have a full service case. But sometimes, let's say some people will be like, you know, uh, the mom and dad will be like, you know, let's get the AG out of this. We'll just deal with each other. And um, what they'll do, they won't go to court and, and get the order stopped. They'll go to the AG and say, stop this child support. And the AG's, uh, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And they'll make it into a registry-only case. However, what's, what's happened there, as, as you know, is that the order's still there. It's just kind of waiting, dor- uh, lurking, uh, dormant, until probably you know, the uh, obligee gets mad. I'm going to put you back on child support. And then the order... The case is reopened. The case, the springs back. The obligor probably owes like a ton of money. That I'm gonna say he. It's it's probably that he he didn't have to pay. Now he's in the hole, uh, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. So that's um, that's what can happen in that situation when somebody says they don't want the the other person to be on child support anymore. So. And maybe in some high dollar cases, they, they just don't want the aging involved. And, um, you know, they can have a private attorney do all most of the things that the AG does, such, such as uh, income withholding orders and, you know, file motions for enforcement. So so I, I think those might be the two reasons. One, misinformation about how to go about stopping child support will result in a registry only case or people just don't want state involvement. I had that exact thing happen with, and they switched it. He, he was like, no, they, she turned it off. I was like, no, she didn't. There's not an order. That means it's still there. That was <laughs> um, so as a private attorney now, do you advise your clients to do the full service or to do the registry only? I definitely advise the full service just because um, the, the AG has so many collection powers that would be expensive and difficult for a private attorney to replicate like, um, they can put liens on bank accounts. They can put liens on people's retirement accounts. They can put uh, liens on personal injury awards, on your car registration, uh, make it hard for you to renew your driver's license, re- inter- intercept your tax refund. They're very powerful. I, I don't think people recognize how powerful that they are. It's seem to uh, kind of be close to the IRS in the, um, the powers that they have. So um, you, you can't beat that. Um, and, and you don't need to engage with them. Like 
if uh, if you're happy with the way things are doing, going, like you can still hire a private attorney to do a modification of child support for you, to do a motion for enforcement of child support, and still, um, you know, partake in the administrative powers of the attorney general. So like a, a lot of private attorneys just deal with the attorney general at court. They're seeing kind of the legal enforcement side, but the attorney general has a number of administrative powers that aren't, that are lesser known that um, are part of its, you know, powers as an executive agency. Okay. So talking about, you know, wh- advising a client, which one to choose at when does the client actually, or when does the person, like let's say the person receiving the money, when do they actually get that option? Is it something that they get in the mail? Is it a phone call? Because I've had situations where you know, my client says, well, I never heard anything from the, it's usually in the temporary orders, yeah. right? Temporary orders entered. I send out the IWO. I do the form, um, the name of it's blanking, escaping me, but you know, the, the form, record of support. It's the record of support. And then nothing seems to happen from we, that we can see. So what what kind of time expectation should we anticipate for the lag of that to happen, of when they actually get contacted by the OAG to set everything up? And could you speak to that some? It, it, I guess it depends what county. If you're not in a county with uh, a domestic relations office that handles child support, at that point, there's a real temporary order, not just an associate judge report, I would tell my client to go apply for attorney general services. Because probably by this point, if they're the obligee, they're, you know, begging for child support. Like, so if, you know, any, any kind of delays is hurting them. So, you know, I'd go have them apply online to get that started. Um, I think, yeah, especially with Tarrant County, and I don't know about Harris or Travis or Bear County, um, you know, if you've got a non-public assistance case, you probably want the domestic relations office to be handling it instead of the AG. Uh, they they have uh, they provide more individual service. They have a smaller caseload, so um, I, you know I would recommend for for my Tarrant County clients to use them. So once there's an order, like you were saying, submit the record of support, um, and then. Hopefully they'll hear something soon. <laughs> um, if, if there hasn't been wages holding yet, then they would send that out administratively. But you, know, you might need to call. And, sorry, what? The DRO would send that out administratively? Well, yeah, the attorney general, the, the DRO is like under contract with the AG. They're kind of like another AG office, except maybe kind of a fancy one, <laughs> just because... They are handling non-public system cases. They've got a smaller caseload, more individual uh, service. So um, that's something they can do. They can send out administrative wage withholding. So in some of my cases, I'm not even doing income withholding orders, at least not on temporary. I feel like once there's a final order, I should still do it just in case in the future the people are not with the AG, then they can still go get that issued by the clerk. But, um, you know, the AG and the, the DRO, if this is a DRO that handles uh, child support, can do administrative withholding. So you, there are many cases where you don't necessarily have to do that. It's not, it doesn't hurt to do it, but it might replicate what they're doing. Okay. That was, yeah, that's always been a mystery to me, kind of the interplay between the DRO and the OAGs. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... 
moving on to like a modification of an order. So I know my, my understanding is that the OAG sends out like a letter to both sides at three years after the last order on a full service case. Is that somewhat right? That's my understanding. I mean, they're, they're kind of creating some more business for themselves by putting the idea in people's heads that they might be able to get a vacation. So that's okay. I mean, maybe, you know, somebody's income has gone up substantially and they should be paying more. So, um, yeah, they will send a letter out to, um, yeah, I don't know whether they send it out to both sides, but, um, and then the next step would be they, they try to have a meeting in their office or like, they're probably doing a zoom now. I did want a zoom one recently where you just meet with a child support officer and they try to, and these folks are real friendly, but child support officers are not attorneys and they have limited discretion. They can only kind of do a very basic order where um, you basically one parent is, they're not doing 50, 50. They're not doing anything special. Just one parent pays guideline child support and um, uh, you know what? And, and that parent gets like standard possession. So that's all those folks are, are really authorized to do. And, um, so some people go to this meeting and, and they, um, they don't understand the difference between the court and just meeting with the child support officer and to get special stuff. And the child support officer is like, no, we can't do that. We're going to, we're going to send that one, this one to court. So if people don't reach an agreement, then they've, that one will go to court. But a lot of times people will reach an agreement or they think they have to, but I've had some good experience going to these meetings. Uh, with people with more complicated income and like I'll do um, one of those uh, child support um, calculations uh, mm-hmm. and provide, you know, pay stubs, documents where, where people just have a more complicated situation and I've been able to get agreements. A lot of times the child support officers, as soon as they see an attorney, they might cancel the meeting. But I try to build trust like, hey, I used to work for the attorney general and uh, like, how bad can I be? So um, a lot of attorneys who say, let that one go to court, just don't agree, they'll file it for court. But you know, depending on the situation, I might go to those meetings. This episode of the Texas Family Law Insiders Podcast is sponsored by the Draper Law Firm, providing family law litigation in Collin, Denton, and Dallas counties and appeals across Texas. The Draper Firm has represented parents in cases before multiple courts of appeals and prevailed in the Texas Supreme Court in one of the biggest parental rights cases in Texas history. For more information, visit draperfirm.com or call 469-715-6801. Okay. So that child support review officer, are they like running numbers or is that has the guideline child support already been predetermined before that meeting based on information that y'all have access to? That's a, that's a good point. So the attorney general has access to information that the private bar doesn't have access to. It is not obtainable by discovery. So they have, apparently there's this, it's called a record of new hires and it's mandatory. So employers have to report what their employees make and so the attorney general can look at like a couple of years of income information. So if somebody has a W-2 job in Texas, the attorney general probably knows what they make and, and can calculate uh, child support pretty easily if that information is accurate. Sometimes they get reports from other states. 
So um, a lot of times they already have an idea what the child support should be. That's just kind of the beginning. Like what about out-of-state income taxes? What about union dues, uh, children outside the relationship? So it's just because they're able to look up people's incomes that that might not be the whole story in setting child support. Okay. If an obligor is trying to decrease their child support for some reason, like laid off, worse job, is that type of modification something that the OAG would offer services and assist with? Well, they they will say they will, but that's not really their strong point because it could take months and months for the case to get to court. And by that time, the person's income might have already gone back to where it was. So, you know, I, I find like somebody like that is kind of in a crisis situation and they need to get to court immediately and get a temporary order lowering the support. So I, I feel like in that situation, they need a private attorney. Uh, a private attorney can get them to court, you know, maybe in a month to, to get a temporary modification. The attorney general, I mean, God bless them. They're doing uh, difficult work. They have a huge caseload. That's just not their strong point is getting a case to court really quickly. So, I mean, that's not going to help somebody if it takes a year for a case to get to court. In a private modification. So like where child support was ordered, so it's already orders and it's a full service case, but we were doing a private modification. Does the OAG have to sign off on the order if there's no change in child support? Um, a lot of times the judge will want them to, but I, I think if you give them notice of it and they don't intervene, their signature should not be necessary. Um, just because uh, it's they're, they're just a child support agency. They shouldn't have to sign off on an order that doesn't involve it, involve child support. Um, and even some orders that do involve child support, for like the domestic relations office will file a letter basically saying, we don't care, proceed without us, which is awesome. Recently. <laughs> <laughs> that um, seems so I would just show that, you know, you gave them notice, they didn't intervene, and that hopefully the judge will not their signature because the judges are aware they only care about child support so um you know i feel in that situation they their signature is not needed but it so but in a private modification case if child support is being changed but the oag hasn't filed an intervention then what so if it's non-public assistance Mm -hmm. well i just feel like if the if the ag already appeared in the previous case I think a lot of judges are going to want them to sign anyway. So you just have to hunt them down and, uh, you know, maybe find one in the courthouse. You know, it's, it's not fun, but it's probably, it's better than um, like not getting it done basically. That makes sense. All right, one, other, one other weird question like that. And then I'll move back to regular questions. If it's a private SAPSER, like an, an original SAPSER and the child is on Medicaid, but the OAG has not done anything yet. Yeah. So then does the OAG have to sign off on it just because they're on Medicaid when they haven't, I mean, they haven't been given notice because- No, I mean, not yet. I always wonder like, why aren't they getting the referrals for some of these cases? I just, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I mean, technically no, but if you do one where the, the order basically admits that the child's on Medicaid, but there's no cash medical support to the state, you're kind of setting your client for 
possibly the attorney general trying to modify the order pretty quickly. So, you know, a lot of these folks, they don't need to go back to court. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of dangerous for them to reopen their cases. So I think in those cases, it's still good to include the cash medical support, the attorney general in the future. And, um, you know, just put something in there. So they'll just leave the case alone. That makes sense. Okay. Do you have any tips for a private attorney that's trying to navigate in a 4D court? Uh, Sure. I mean, the the important thing to remember is that in 4D courts, almost all the cases were filed by the attorney general. It's, it's, I think it's important to recognize what the purpose of the attorney general is and they do help children, but mainly this is about public assistance by us establishing support orders and enforcing them. They're basically saving the state money because the state is avoiding having to do public assistance and creating income for families. So that's less public assistance that needs to be paid out. And then when they enforce um, the same thing, basically. So, that's the whole reason why we have federal involvement uh, through Section 4D of the Social Security Act in child support. It's it's not. Uh, I mean, the purpose behind it is is basically to save money for the state. Uh, you know, along the way, they're doing a lot of good things for families, but ultimately, it's it's about uh, reimbursing the state for public assistance and avoiding public assistance. Um, so it's kind of important to just to see the purpose and understand the motivations a little better. So that way um, you can, I guess, deal a little more in a more understanding fashion with the attorney general. It's, it's a big assembly line. And, and uh, like I said, they're establishing the orders, they're modifying the orders, they're enforcing the orders. And uh, it's like a summary process. Like a lot of people are like, why can't we do stuff that we're doing in district court? Uh, you know, up there, you know, we're doing this and, and here it just seems like maybe a lot, some of the rules aren't being followed. So it is in the courthouse. Um, but in some ways it's kind of a summary process. Like it seems like some of the rules are kind of perhaps getting lost. And I don't say that in a negative way, but in other states that have 4d systems, it's like an administrative court. They're not even at, at the courthouse. So, and, uh, Texas, I think, and their 4D system is providing more due process because in other states, they're just doing a child support order. They're not even addressing possession and access. Uh, like I just looked at a Nevada order. All it did was make the dad pay child support. And uh, so here, the, the theory is in Texas that you can't set child support until you've done conservatorship. So that the AG, my understanding is they had a waiver from the federal government that that's their funding to also uh, conservatorship, they had to get permission to do that because, you know, this, the federal government is only paying the AG to set up child support. So they're a child support agency. They ultimately are supposed to care about, you know, as human beings, we're always going to care about, you know, people's circumstances and we don't want to put a child in a bad circumstance. Just as being there as an attorney, you know, you're going to try to look out for but you don't represent the mom or the dad or even the children, which a lot of people like the AG represents the best interest of the child. No, they do not represent the state, uh, which it's confusing. 
because um, I guess, like, why does the state need to be represented? But the state's interest is uh, setting up child support orders to uh, decrease its public assistance. Uh, so it's important, like, um, you know, in some ways it's a lot similar to a district court. There isn't like a specially designated hearing temporary orders. Like you're hearing, and if the case gets finished there, but it doesn't get finished and it gets reset. Um, so uh, a lot of times, like you can kind of defeat them on procedure. Like, hey, I never got notice of a final trial. Like, so this needs to be passed so you can give me appropriate notice. So I think, um, uh, yeah, if they if all the rules were followed all the time, AG court, they'd never get anything done. They'd never move their docket. But as a, as an attorney, just by invoking some of the rules, you can get uh, good results uh, for your client. So. Um, a lot of people, you know, they don't know about all the administrative programs. Like sometimes I'll just get uh, an AG case and it doesn't even involve going to court. Like somebody's like, hey, I'm trying to sell my house and there's a lien on it from the AG. And it's pretty simple. Like I just contact the AG. Like, hey, can you guys send over a partial release of lien? This is a homestead and y'all shouldn't have a lien on it. And they're like, sure. And they send it. Like they were in the wrong, they send it right over. <laughs> so um, you know, there are things you can do to help people that uh, don't involve uh, court processes, and, and you know you can you can build some cases that way. And then you know those kind of cases from from other attorneys, or if somebody wants to travel abroad, they're like, hey, we're going on a cruise, but the AG has blocked my passport. So. That might be something you can help people with um, by dealing with the AG's uh, special collection unit. Just figure out how to talk to them. Um, they have like a, a phone number and then you can learn their secret emails and talk to them directly. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of ways that you can assist people with kind of dealing with their bureaucracy. Um, like are their numbers even right? Like maybe they don't have all the direct payments that your client made uh, to the mother. Like can she fill out to David that lists those and the AG puts those in their system. Mm. Um, the, the one I'm always getting, I can't do anything with is like with a really old guy. He's like, Hey, um, they're taking half my social security. And I seem to get like, it, I was getting these like once a week. And they're so depressing. I'm like, um, the kids are already grown. They're like 30 years old and don't send me, send me any more of these cases where it's like 10, you know, 10 years after the last child emancipates, it's pretty difficult to do anything. Like mm. maybe there's some strategies with getting the withholding stop, but generally pretty hopeless. <laughs> like really old orders. Somebody owes a lot of child support. They're withholding it from their social security. So I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like um, maybe $3,000, I can see what I, and <laughs> they don't have $3,000. So um, yeah. yeah, those are those generally you can always make the situation little better except in that one situation so please don't send me those calls but any other ag call sure okay i'll send all those to you (laughs) well we're running a little bit out of time but uh just real quickly where could our listeners go to learn more about you okay so um i guess my website foxlawdfw.com dfw like the airport and um my uh, email is jfox at foxlawdfw.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You've definitely given me a lot of um, new information, so I appreciate your time. 
Okay, thank you, Terry. Thanks, Jonathan. The Texas Family Law Insiders Podcast is sponsored by the Draper Law Firm. We help people navigate divorce and child custody cases and handle family law appellate matters. For more information, visit our website at www.draperfirm.com.